0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Hello and welcome to Scorpbox. Here are your headlines today. The party of far-right populist Geert Wilders looks set to claim the most seats in the Dutch election, with the anti-EU politician saying he's ready to lead despite an uncertain coalition path.
0: The people have spoken. The people said we are sick and tired of this. We will make sure the Dutch people will come first once again.
1: Crude prices come under pressure after OPEC and its allies delay a key policy setting meeting by four days amid reports of disagreement over its production levels.
0: Uh, the Bundesbank president Joachim Nagel says rates may have already peaked whilst uh, ruling out a hard landing for the Eurozone. Maybe you can do that, isn't it? Uh, but the ECB vice president Luis de Guindos uh, cautions against over optimism.
1: The reduction of inflation is something that is positive, but bear in mind that uh, when you look at core inflation, for instance, it's clearly above headline inflation. And, uh, you know, there are some risks in the pipeline. For instance, the evolution of wages. Wage growth is something that we are looking at very carefully.
0: And elsewhere, Germany's government actually postpones key talks on its 2024 budget as a rift between the coalition partners deepen uh, that's despite the Chancellor Olaf Scholz calling for a quick resolution. The respect Our respect for the parliament means the federal government cannot declare when it exactly should reach a conclusion. But it should be done very swiftly and promptly. And it can be done very swiftly and promptly. Uh, absolutely lovely to see you. Isn't it amazing how the news flow pivots? We are a show that ostensibly covers business, markets, economics and politics. I think that's the four that covers most of the stuff that we talk about. And yet our dominance on technology, yes, and rightly so, you a know. Tech, it,
1: tech being disrupted, actually, not disruptive tech in some ways. Yeah, yeah. It's- I mean, an
0: extraordinary story about an individual. Today, the pivot is enormous on the news flow. We're talking about the UK budget. We're talking about problems in Germany with their own budget as well. Uh, and primarily the extraordinary events overnight in the Netherlands. So let me just fill you in. The Dutch far-right populist Geert Wilders is heading for victory, which seems extraordinary, in the Netherlands parliamentary election. Now, according to exit polls from the country's biggest news agency, NOS, his Freedom Party is projected to gain 37 seats. The biggest rival for him is the the group led by the EU commissioner, Franz Timmermans, former EU commissioner, uh, and his Green and Labour coalition. Now, they're 12 seats behind, whilst the centre-right People's Party, which won in 2021, sits third. Now, addressing his supporters after early exit polls were published, Wilders said he hoped to start coalition talks with other parties as soon as possible. I want to thank everybody in the Netherlands for their support. 35 seats, it's a great compliment, but also a great responsibility for us, for every party member. For those two million people we will have to do our best to make it happen. We will seriously try to make that hope come true. And I also want to say to the other parties, we had a campaign. Now the people have spoken. We will have to look for agreement. We have to work together. So why do you, our international community, from Singapore to St. Louis, care about what's going on in the Netherlands election? Well, we've got Sylvia on set now as well. I think there are multiple reasons why they should be concerned and be interested as well. Not least what the relationship between Geert Wilders is with the EU and the broader EU immigration policy and what that means with the rest of the world. But also uh, the fact that there is a trend developing in Europe where further-right politicians, and I'm I'm loathe to say far-right because they are further-right, and we've we've had all this soul-searching over Georgia Maloney, Mm -hmm. further-right politicians are gaining certainly positions of confidence or or, or certainly getting more vote and even getting into government. From Ulf Christensen's party uh, in Sweden, from FICO in Slovakia, from Orbán, which we know is a thorn in the side of the EU on a regular basis, uh, in Hungary as well, to Malone in Italy and now Keert Wilders in the Netherlands. Just just run us through what's happened and what you think is going to happen next.
2: So first and foremost I would caution against uh, the complexity, really, of uh, forming a coalition in the Netherlands given this result. So tradition has it that the party that has the most votes is the one starting coalition talks. So in that, with that in mind, it is expected that Wilders will be the one starting those coalition conversations. But when you look at some of the comments from the other parties, for instance, uh, the leader of the VVD, which was the party that uh, Mark Rutte, the famous f- Prime Minister of the Netherlands, had run for several years, that party has ruled out working with builders and if you look at the exit polls they are actually currently uh, third in terms of uh, gaining votes so it's unclear at this stage whether the other parties will actually be willing to join forces with builders so First and foremost, let's see what will come out from these uh, conversations in terms of forming coalitions. Yesterday I spoke to a Dutch official who told me that we could actually see happening in the Netherlands what happened in Spain, which is seeing the party that didn't get the majority of the votes actually forming government. So we are actually getting, you know, we are at the stage where we could actually be in for very tough and long conversations in trying to form a government in the Netherlands. Now, the second element here is what does this mean for Europe? Because we're also approaching European elections in June. As Steve pointed out, we're seeing more and more trends to the right across the EU. Is this another example where we're actually seeing a huge member of the EU turning to the right, to the far right? And this is important because the Netherlands actually plays a critical role when you look at European politics. Often, when uh, I'm uh, reporting on a new pieces of legislation from Brussels, one of the first questions I have to ask myself is, what is the position from the Londoners on this one? Because that could actually impact the upcoming steps when it comes to specific proposals. So at this stage, huge uncertainty, guys. But indeed, it is a movement towards the right. And in that sense, it was a surprise when we actually looked at these exit polls, because going into the, this election, Everything was in the open. It was not clear at all who was going to win the election.
1: I think what's interesting is that the market and a lot of, I think, participants out there know some of the names from Mark Ritter, who they've seen a lot on the the political landscape to Franz Timmermans, are very evident over at the EU. What's the future for both of those gentlemen now?
2: So it's interesting, because for Mark Rutte, he said he's done with uh, national politics, I, I but... I had asked
0: him this exact question in the audience, by the way. I mean, we might, but he's, he's yeah. done and dusted. He's, he's out, isn't he? He just wants to retire from it.
2: Yes, but there's more and more speculation about whether he's actually going to be the next uh, chief of NATO. So it might not be the end when it comes to the future of Mark Rutte in but, terms of politics. That's really important, because yeah. if Mark...
0: I mean, let's just go down a road here. If Get Wilders can get together in a, a, a coalition, it's a huge if. And if Mark Rutter is the head of NATO, and again, that's a huge if as well. Doesn't that make it very interesting? Because one of the problems that a lot of these far-right politicians have is the amount of money and armaments which are being sent to Ukraine. I think it's yeah. something that um, Mr Wilders has talked about as well. By the way, so a gentleman I've met on many occasions, uh, and um, very interesting conversations I've had with him too. But, but fascinating that you've got parties in Europe now, from Slovakia... To hungary to potentially mm. in the netherlands and again we're a long way off um that actually are fraying at the edges the commitment to ukraine as well so that's another ramification
2: it's another ramification but there if you did we actually see marco ruta leading nato he might actually be the best man to deal with some of these dynamics because when you look at his history in uh, the dutch politics uh, actually, this official I spoke with in the Netherlands yesterday, he told me, you know, in the past, it didn't matter what sort of um, picture they had in politics, whatever conflict, Mark Rutte would come and fix everything. He was the savior in Dutch politics. He managed to communicate with everybody. Then perhaps that quality could actually be transferred to a potential NATO leadership. Let's see. I would also like to mention the, the, uh, the angle about the U.S. relationship with the Netherlands, because that's an important one to monitor here, too. We know that they have been working quite closely when it comes to bans on uh, semiconductors. Of course, ASML, a Dutch company, huge importance um, for the Americans as well in the context of the geopolitics uh, when it comes to chip makers. Here, though, at this stage, it seems that we're likely to see the Netherlands continue this uh, pro-US approach. So we're not expecting huge changes there. But given the complexity of this exit poll, um, it remains to be seen whether that could actually be impacted too.
1: And just a quick one on the economy, because we've been talking about the fading momentum across Europe. Netherlands no different in a technical recession over summer and it's still stuck there, it seems. So where is fiscal policy now in the mix? Is that the answer to rescuing the fortunes of the Netherlands?
2: Huge pressure on that as well, because uh, let's not forget the European context here. We're also debating new fiscal rules across the EU. The Netherlands traditionally plays this role of being, you know, more conservative when it comes to fiscal policy. And actually, when you look at the outcome, the fact that they are moving towards the right, it could, we could actually see a Netherlands taking even a stronger stance when it comes to fiscal discipline. So. Another um, one to monitor. And to
0: reiterate your initial point, um, I remember from my time in The Hague as well, working on this very story. Um, I think it was 2017, it took Mm. 225 days to form uh, a government then. So the the, the Dutch are legendary for, (laughs) (laughs) and I have many Dutch friends, but you you, you know you guys, (laughs) you are legendary for the amount of time it takes you to form a government as well. So there is a long way to go. So uh, plenty of time for us all to get around that story. Thank you, great coverage. Thank you very much indeed. And we'll have more on the impact of the uh, election results with Rabobank's chief (laughs) economist, uh, Esther Barendrecht. Uh, That interview coming up in just half an hour's time at 7.30 Central European time. In the meantime, the markets resume their rally, Karen.
1: Yeah, we had a lot in the wash up from NVIDIA numbers out yesterday, earlier, the market was looking at the fading uh, growth out of the Chinese market thanks to sanctions, all the restrictions that have impacted sales to that key market. But of course, the AI story where the chips from NVIDIA widely sought by many different companies and countries. So it was a big theme for markets. Also, the Microsoft story, the wash up from OpenAI and the news that Sam Altman is back at the company and how Microsoft has had uh, a hand in those fortunes so uh, two big stocks the market watched and in fact if you looked at the performance on the major boards Microsoft a big driver for the likes of the Dow to the upside and also for the S&P 500 for the Nasdaq, drive to the downside was Nvidia. So they were the two moving stocks for the markets. But you could see another positive session unfolding over the course of the trading week, up about nine tenths of a percent for the Dow. It's uh, Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving to our US cousins, to our US colleagues, and of course, the markets now, of course, go into pause mode. So we'll be looking at uh, the resumption of trade for the US markets around Black Friday. Let's take a look at that Nvidia stock close up, and you can see down two and a half percent as the stock reversed course but still up a mighty 230 plus percent over the course of this year wti and brent a fairly large focus on what is taking place in the commodity uh, given that there's been a postponement to the OPEC Plus meeting. Uh, market participants are closely looking at that a postponement and trying to ascertain what it means. We're down more than 1% on WTI and on crude as a result. To the Asian markets and uh, the early picture across the board, a lot of concerns around property still in the China market and just what those exposures mean for many that are now holding on to fairly large uh, leverage because of the debt loads you're seeing in property. As a result, uh, the Hong Kong market uh, traveling uh, modestly upbeat at this Point but not exactly runaway direction. Australia slipping six tenths of a percent, Steve.
0: We have a guest round the desk who has the same concerns that we air on a daily basis. Are, are, are the markets good value or are they expensive? When I say markets, I mean equities. So we've got uh Wolf von Rotberg joins us. He is equity strategist at j Safra Sarasin Sustainable Asset Management. Wolf, very nice to see you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Well look, Thank I mean take it away. I asked I asked Wolf were you at the wall, give us one thing that you really feel passionate because I'm worried the markets
3: are expensive. Yeah. Cool, talk us through it. Absolutely. I, I think, in, I mean, if we look at like uh, price earnings um, valuations in general, they don't look as expensive as they were at the beginning of the year. But I think what's really changed is the level in yields. Uh, yields have basically continued to move higher. Obviously, the past two or three weeks look a bit different. But in general, what do you get in equities over the next 12 months? If we look at the US market in particular here, is barely more than what you're getting on a 10-year on a, on a, on a Treasury. Yeah, we are pretty much like around one percentage point above the Treasury in like a 12-month forward earnings yield. Um, that only makes sense if the economy remains as strong as it is right now in the US. So we've had 4.9% GDP growth. This is unlikely to continue. And, and I, I hear you, in your, but, but I think the, the
0: subtlety is I mean, very interesting, Cameron's talking about NVIDIA at the wall, despite yeah. the analysts going, oh, I've seen some $675 call on it, I've seen some uh, $700 call, I think I've seen north of that as well. But it seems stuck, doesn't it? I mean, we talked about this from August. It's, it's kind of stuck just below 500 bucks. went down to $487 yesterday. But, but, but a stock like that will buy you extraordinary growth, all with it, with the Chinese. But the rest of the market, and I say the rest, I mean, excluding 10 to 30 illustrious names. Yeah. They're
3: cheap many of these price earnings ratios but 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 they, they they just there's a reason for that again, I think looking at price earnings ratios and just comparing them to history doesn't make a whole lot of sense okay. if your history on the on the rate side is very different you know comparing yeah. them to ten year averages we are in a completely different world now so just saying you know the attractiveness of fixed income right now is just you know very different well, to so equities I buy
0: u s equities
3: which I can, buy US equities, well, I can yeah. but 10 times forward
0: on, on a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about the, the, the growth stocks. I'm, I, if I can find good solid industrial companies in the Russell 2K and elsewhere at 10 to 12 times forward, just, you
3: still wouldn't touch it? Um, I, you know, for us, I think what makes a lot of sense is buying some names which would benefit from lower, from lower rates at the end of right. the day. Okay. Yeah? The challenge though is to find the ones which would still do well in an environment in which rates are falling while the cycle is coming down because I think that's actually, you know, kind of the main reason why rates are coming down at the end of the day because the cycle is slowing and you don't want to be hurt on the earnings side while getting the benefit, let's say, you know, kind of on the the financing costs and so forth. Mm -hmm. So you want to go into like the more defensive end of the market, but highly leveraged utilities, real estate, this kind of stuff done very badly this year. Reason is financing costs have gone up. They have a lot of leverage but they're very defensive on their sales, very stable sales. You go into a downturn, rates come off, financing costs improve, your margins go up, your sales are stable, and you're not like you know, kind of in a, some of the small caps, whatever, the more cyclical part yeah. of the market, yeah. highly leveraged getting the benefit maybe on the financing costs, but then getting the pain or the you know headwinds on the earnings. So uh-huh. you don't want to go with those guys.
1: There's been interest in those segments over the course of the last month or so. Not this week, it was communication services to the upside energy, to the downside, but there has been appetite in the, some of the market activity. Do you buy this in a basket these days or is it more stock specific? Because if I look at the real estate segment, mm-hmm. very, very different in terms of exposures and there's still structural headwinds, for instance. And on utilities, the race towards renewables, again, skewing the mix of companies, you can get into an ETF. So how are you approaching yeah, I think
3: I mean, for the utilities, I think it's a bit more homogeneous, let's say, you know, generally very stable income stream or very stable sales stream, let's say. Um, for real estate, I totally agree. You have like more defensive parts of real estate, infrastructure, um, residential, and then the more cyclical part like, you know, um, offices and like other basically parts which are much more shopping tied centers. to the cycle, hmm. shopping centers, retail, exactly. And you would want to be in the more defensive part of, of, the, of the real estate market. And, again going through equity not direct investment not the physical you know kind of unit because the equity market is priced for, for, for a further decline in real estate prices the, 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 the building itself may not be yet
1: I want to get into the, the China market and the weeds here because everyone's been cautious this year those who were bulls have effectively rolled over the property market story just continues to roll on latest story today a wealth manager with large exposure to the property market now facing insolvency with liabilities. So it feels as though there's still a domino effect taking place in the Chinese market thanks to real estate. How do you think about the Chinese market and going to 2024?
3: Uh, we, are, we are very cautious on the Chinese market, but not <clears throat> for, for, let's say, the more top down macro reasons, rather than saying it's more the bottom up. You know, it's kind of the, um, let's say, regulatory overhang a little bit. We don't want to buy into something where we feel there could be some single stock story which we don't see, which can just derail the entire story of the market. But we think the Chinese cycle is stabilizing. So we see there's some stimulus coming through. I think what we've seen from the government just over the past few days, in terms of like how they approach the real estate market, how they approach real estate developers, is a good sign, is a good sign for the cycle. But the way to play it, for us, is more like, for example, through European exposure. You know, some of the European names or some of the European sectors which are which have exposure to China, which have done quite badly over the past three, four months, they could come back.
1: Uh, can I just turn quickly to Europe then, because we've got some PMIs coming out later yeah. today. We've seen fading momentum across in Europe, although there has been some appetite for the DAX yeah. around monetary policy stories. So, what's the positioning for you around some of the European markets?
3: For us, the euro area market looks actually fairly attractive from a very technical point of view, short-termish, one, three months, because I think the European cycle, as you say, is very weak. We're getting the PMIs today. Let's see what we're getting there. We are close to 40 on the manufacturing PMI in Germany, which is, you know, recessionary territory, but we could see a trough here. And China is one reason. We have seen in China credit impulse stabilizing, turning positive again. Typically the European manufacturing cycle follows with a lag of like six months or something, something like that. And what we've also seen in Europe, what's really you know, kind of a key f- uh, driver of the market or key proxy for the market is um, macro surprises. They have troughed, they're still negative, but improving very different to the US for example, where they've been positive but are slowing now. So this kind of uh, development is starting to converge um, and to generally help the euro area market. But again, saying this is not like a you know, long term call, not a 12 month call. It's very tactical.
1: Mm. Wolf, well, thank you very much for joining us today. Much appreciated. Wolf von Rodberg, with us, equity strategist at J. Safra Saris and sustainable asset management. Coming up on the show, a surprise meeting delay sends oil prices sliding as OPEC and its allies struggle to agree on output levels plus Binance buckles. Traders bail out of the crypto platform with withdrawals topping a billion dollars in the wake of the CEO's departure. And as the UK braces for another winter, we speak with the CEO of National Gas. Don't miss that interview coming up at 9.30 CET.
0: The planned exchange of Israeli hostages and Palestinian prisoners will apparently now reportedly not take place until at least Friday. There's also confusion over when a four-day pause in fighting will commence, having been expected this morning, but now seemingly not likely until tomorrow. Israel's national security adviser said negotiations were ongoing, and the country's public broadcaster said there had been a 24-hour delay because the deal had not been signed by Hamas and one of the mediators, Qatar. Uh, And you can follow all the latest and keep up with developments on our live blog. That is on cnbc.com.
1: OPEC Plus has delayed its ministerial meeting scheduled to begin this Sunday. Amid reports of disagreements between countries over production levels and further supply cuts. OPEC did not confirm a reason for the postponement, but a senior delegate recognized Saudi dissatisfaction over compliance levels with pledged output cuts from some countries when speaking to CNBC. The group's meeting will now begin Thursday, coinciding with the start of COP28 in the UAE. Well, Dan joins us with more. Dan, as we have the price hovering just below the $81 mark, just give us a sense, I'm sure you've tapped into some of your your contacts. What does it mean, this delay? What do you think they're shaping up for?
4: Karen, good morning. Well, OPEC will need to come up with something when they meet again on Thursday, coinciding with the start of COP28, because this delay certainly came as a surprise to the market. However, the message from the producers is that OPEC is maintaining its commitment to be proactive, preemptive and precautionary, and that is what we have been told to basically deliver uh, as these negotiations continue to unfold. This meeting appears to have been delayed because the producers need more time to discuss quotas. You'll remember that back at the June meeting, the UAE received a higher output quota. That meant that some of the African producers, like Nigeria and Angola, for example, received lower quotas. It was a point of contention at the June meeting and it does not appear as if that conflict has been resolved. So negotiations are continuing. At the same time what we have seen is these tense negotiations unfold before but it does appear that a dispute and a fallout similar to 2014 or 2020 is very unlikely at this point. The message that we're receiving is a deal will be done. They just need more time. Reports suggest that Saudi Arabia may look to extend this voluntary 1 million barrel per day production cut deep into next year, the so-called Saudi lollipop. And doing this should help to reduce the expected surplus and perhaps provide some support to the market. The other question being asked coming into this next meeting now is for how much longer is Saudi Arabia willing to unilaterally shoulder the burden? Yes, the Russian production cut is also in place, but they have much less flexibility um, than the Saudis to extend the production cut here uh, or even deepen production cuts. So Saudi Arabia may be looking for an additional commitment from the other producers. And at the same time, prices have dropped around 20% since September. So additional cuts here cannot be ruled out. But all of this really setting up for an interesting meeting when opec meets again next thursday coinciding with the start of the year's most important climate conversation yeah over to dan you.
0: brilliant coverage uh, and to complement everything you've been saying as well we've also got another Uh, If I may call her, there's an old hand at OPEC as well, Uh, Roxanda Lordash, uh, she's been to quite a few meetings as well and she's done some great copy on CNBC.com as well. So uh, we've got this story well covered Uh, and it just covers a little bit about baseline scenarios as well and again, those concerns that uh, Dan was just mentioning. That's on CNBC.com.
1: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express.
0: For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.